State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with Gavin Morris, Director of News, Analysis and Investigations at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. As a legacy media broadcaster in Australia, Gavin shares this transformation process they've undergone in becoming a leading online publisher and ambitions ahead. Let's begin. Hi everyone, we have a special episode today. This season we've been working with, speaking with a lot of MarTech publishers who provide us, us insights with, on how they've worked with other publishers to solve their tech solutions. But today we've got a special live episode. Um, I'm at, currently at the ABC offices in Sydney, in Ultima. And I've got with me Gavin Morris, the Director of News and Investigations. Hi, Gavin. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Great to have you here. It's exciting as well. Um, we've, you know, ABC is a, a legacy a media broadcaster, and you know, there are some things that they're going through in terms of, a, in terms of the business model, and, and they're, they're connected with the government in some ways. But um, what we're going to be speaking about today is around the state of news and investigations and, and just ABC and how they're looking to address that moving forward. But before we go into that, I'm just going to pass it over to you, Gavin, just to provide a bit of background about yourself so that people can get to know you. Sure. Uh, thanks. And thanks for, for your interest and for, you know, the interest of your, your listeners. Um, look, I, I suppose I started out as a journalist, really you know, grew up not really knowing a lot of journalists, but were, were fascinated by storytelling and by, you know, reading newspapers that my grandparents used to read and things like that. And so I really wanted to, you know, be a journalist, worked out that I had to go to university to do that. I, uh, you know, was hoping for an old style cadetship or something like that, but they didn't exist anymore. So went went to uni and really kind of left into it from there. And I started as a, a newspaper journalist at the Canberra Times. I'm from that region down there. Uh, and then got a job uh, at the ABC on a youth current affairs show back in the early 90s. And, you know, from there really developed a career as a reporter and as a journalist and, and then went overseas and, and right in the middle of the dot-com boom, uh, I saw that this internet thing was going somewhere and so I really wanted to go overseas and try to get an internet journalism job. Uh, right. And there were lots of startups going at, at the time, including one at CNN, where they, they had a massive expansion at CNN around uh, online publishing and news. So I joined CNN.com Europe, which was a bespoke European CNN website at the time. They did the same thing for Asia. They did the same thing for the Americas. And quite quickly after that, the dot-com bust happened. Uh, and it was this period where everybody thought the internet was here and was the future. You saw lots of businesses grow and expand and, you know, lots of fortunes were made quite quickly, but then the, the bubble burst. Uh, and I think, it, you know, the realisation happened that the, uh, the business models around online news and around the online world more generally weren't quite there to be sustained. So CNN scaled right back again and I moved over to back, back to sort of the broadcast side of things and then September 11 happens. And so... You know, we went through this time when the internet was the future and the internet wasn't the future anymore and then live television news was right back at the heart of the way people were getting their news around a big story like like September 11. Okay. So I did that for a while and, and had a great time, travelled the world with CNN reporting and producing and, uh, you know, back in the old school broadcast world 
But I think this fascination of always thinking about the fact that the this online model was going to go come back uh, once business models matured and once people worked out how audiences were going to consume their news and information in new ways. So really, ever since then, that's what I've been interested in is you know, how great journalism and good storytelling and good content creation meets the changing behaviour of audiences. And so really, you know, via Al Jazeera and, and then back here at the ABC, that's what I've been sort of heading towards as I kind of uh, carved out more of, a, more of a management leadership career. How does your team look like at the moment and, and how much of your role currently is towards the online? So I suppose what we've... We've got a B in our name, right? We're the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Yeah. So for us as a big publicly funded organisation with a B in our name, it's been a real journey for the ABC in recent years to sort of work out how to be successful in broadcasting and to, you know, keep serving those very loyal audiences we have that tune in to our television and radio programs while recognising that increasingly many people are getting news and information and entertainment and other other forms of content uh, in very different ways. And so, you know, it's that challenge of how do you maintain all those things that are good about your broadcasting heritage while knowing that you've really got to develop uh, a digital content plan and a a distribution plan that can ensure you're relevant to contemporary audiences as well. And that really has been what we've been trying to do for the past, well, probably ever since I've been here, the past 10 years really. Yeah. Um, just out of just in context as well, there's been the re- recent re-election of the Morrison government as well, and and there's obviously been always sp- discussions and fear around budget cuts as well. Um, I've read, you know, that current affairs is is pretty much a staple and it's always going to be as it is. Um, it, it won't be touched, I guess, the budget allocation towards that. Why do you think that? And and sort of why do you, how do you think the impact of the other budget cuts in the other content areas is going to impact ABC moving forward? Well, look, I suppose I'd say this. We're, we're very grateful for any public money that the taxpayers give us to perform what we think is an essential service to all Australians. Yeah. So that fluctuates over time um, and budgets go up, budgets go down. Uh, we do our best to ensure that the service that we provide is the right shape of the service for the, for the money that we get and, and for what we can afford to do. Now, I obviously think news and current affairs and uh, is pretty vital service that the ABC provides, but that doesn't mean that we will be completely immune when budgets are reduced. You know, even in the last, since 2014, we had a, a big budget cut in 2014. Yeah. And there's been a number of other smaller cuts along the way, some of them self-imposed within ABC's strategic choices and others because of government uh, reductions in funding. Uh, and I suppose what we try to do when that happens is, is say, well, what are, the, what are the vital services that we must provide and how do we keep them strong? But what we don't want is lots of services that all get chipped away until none of them are very good. So my approach has always been try to maintain the quality of our services, even if that means we offer less services or fewer services. So we've made decisions over time like, you know, cutting a program like Lateline because there were fewer television audiences Late in the evenings, um, the environment around television broadcasting had changed. More people had moved online, but we were still spending sizable amount of money on a program like that. So we had to, you know, say goodbye to a program that was very much part of the ABC's heritage for a long time. We've had to reduce the seasons of some of our television programs. We've had to reduce the duration of some of our radio programs. We've had to 
consolidate some of the radio news services that we provide because we just can't do everything all the time. And the challenge we've got is while the funding envelope has been, you know, gradually reducing or in some cases rapidly reducing, um, the need for us to change what we do is also ever-present. So you've got to transform the organisation while dealing with the smaller funding envelope, knowing that the audiences are, are changing rapidly. And, and that is always the big challenge at the ABC. I suppose it's always a big challenge for any media organisation. Exactly, um, yeah, it's always the case. that You always have to constantly adapt and transform. So Exactly. And, and usually, recently, even for commercial media organisations, a mid-falling revenue. Yeah, you obviously know how the Guardian works and how they're member funded. Since you know ABC is tax funded, is there a reason why you can't make that transition to try to take that similar approach? Or? Firstly, we're not allowed to. So no. under the sort of the ABC Act, you know, we're not allowed to commercially raise money. Uh, right. You know, in that very direct way. So we we can't advertise. We can't use advertising, for instance. A sponsorship model you know, I think is one that we've never tested, but I don't think we necessarily would. I think the approach we take is to say, well, Australian taxpayers have already paid for the ABC, you know, asking them to pay twice by also getting them to sort of subscribe to the service that they've already paid their taxes to provide is wouldn't really be a fair statement to much of the audience. Now, in other countries where publicly funded media is paid for through a licence fee or something, that that's an alternative model to funding public media. But we've never, you know, that's that's never been tried or, or, or explored in Australia. And I, I don't think the governments or or the community would want us to go down the path of a of a licence fee. So we have the model we have, which is grants from the government and they can be subject to, you know, decisions around whether people think we're getting enough, too much or too little. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's just always the way it's been for us. So just so just with that point around um, you know not being able to advertise with with public licensing models out there, I guess what other findings have you or what have you been looking at which you might be looking at experimenting or trying trying out? I suppose what we've always tried to do is to you know people criticise us because we're quite large and we still get a billion dollars of taxpayers' money every year. It's a lot of money. Yeah. But what we seek to do is to try and ensure that we're as efficient as we can possibly be in providing the kind of full range of services that we seek to do and to make sure that those services are distinctive and complementary to those that Australians can get from other places. So we invest more money in international reporting than anyone else in Australia, significantly more, because we think that for Australian audiences, that's a service that we should provide um, that you know, commercial media have either decided isn't viable or isn't in their interests to provide. So we seek to do a better job there. We do a lot of services in rural and regional Australia in, in places where, again, commercial media, you know, isn't so focused some of the time. I mean, in some places there's viable local regional media, but in some places there isn't. So the ABC sees that as a real part of its responsibility. We invest in things like children's content, obviously not in news so much, although we have one... No, Kids Current Affairs Program, BTN. But we think serving ad-free, accessible, intelligent content to Australian kids is a service that the ABC should provide for the taxes that people pay for it. So I suppose that's the approach we've always taken. Where can we provide an invaluable service for Australians that perhaps the commercial media 
uh, isn't providing to the same extent? And can we show people that that's something very valuable that a public media should offer in the ecosystem, you know, alongside all of the other forms of news and entertainment and, uh, uh, and, and so on that they can get from the full range of media organisations? How can you push the case to get more budget if that's, if that, like you're saying now, how can you then push to get more budget or show them that they will get more return from the content that you're producing and investing in creating for the Australian public? So we have two conversations, I suppose, once with the Australian public themselves, where we try to, you know, make sure that Australians really recognise and value what the ABC does, because... You know, the biggest barometer on whether we're going to be funded well or whether budget cuts are going to happen is whether the Australian public thinks we're doing a good job yep. because, you know, our only job is to serve serve them. Second group, obviously, that we then, you know, seek to speak to is the government of the day and, and, and we go to whoever the government is and, and, again, try to show the value of the services we provide and the reason why we think we deserve the same funding or more funding um, on occasions when we've asked for more. Usually we get some additional funding grants if there's a particular thing that we that, that we think we're doing that we think needs to be funded better. So whether that's something like rural and regional services or kids programming or Australian drama or um, emergency broadcasting, quite often we'll have a conversation with the government around saying we think this is an invaluable service. We can't afford to do it as well as we'd like with our current budget. So we're putting forward a bid maybe for some more funding. Okay, so Gavin, let's take a step back. I wanted to really delve into, you know, current news, current affairs, and investigative journalism. So, generally speaking, what are the sophistications and tools and, and changes that have happened now that help journalists do better investigative journalism in ABC at the moment? I mean, everything's changed within my lifetime as a journalist. Yeah. You know, I, I remember first going into a newsroom and, and the, the first mobile phone arrived and the first email account you know, was available. Uh, you, yeah. Exactly. So remember, that, you know, even in my lifetime, and there are many journalists here who have been around a bit longer than me, um, there was no internet, there was no mobile phones, there was no uh, no email or, or really um, sort of online services. You know, and what you had back then was largely very scheduled television and radio news bulletins, you know, in television terms, once or twice a day, in radio terms at the top of every hour, and obviously then some current affairs programs. Completely different world now, obviously. The way journalists go about their business has changed. They've got the internet, they've got mobile phones, you know, they can can connect to the community in much more, many different ways of social media. So the act of gathering information and finding things out has changed dramatically. But then the the relationship with within how you provide that news and information has changed completely as well. And we recognise that increasingly audiences are getting their news and information in an on-demand way, increasingly personalised ways, that they want it on their terms at times that suit them, not us, that the old deadline system and, you know, scheduled radio and television bulletins is becoming less and less part of people's habits. Yeah, on demand essentially. On demand and personalised, you yeah. know. I mean, this is where people are going to want their services. And so I think on the one hand, it's helped enormously the, the ability for us to be more efficient at gathering information and covering the news. You know, we don't need satellite dish now to do a live shot. You don't, you know, you can use a mobile phone when once you had to use a kind of telephone booth. You, all of these things enormously have changed and helped us in the way we gather news. 
But the thing that I think has been really exciting and sometimes overlooked in the digital, you know, I think quite often newsrooms still look at the digital world as a threat and as something that has, um, you know, taken away from the power of those big broadcast or print audiences. Whereas I see for us, it's been, it's enabled us to extend a lot of our very best stories to audiences who are never going to watch or listen to our broadcasts. So I think one of the strategies we've been running in the last few years is something I've called Equal Digital Life. And this is to say, you know, if we can take a Four Corners or a great piece of radio broadcasting or a great piece of live television coverage and we can turn that into an equally compelling digital experience, not only are we going to reach a lot more people, we're going to reach a different type of people than those that would have tuned into our 7 o'clock news or listened to AM or PM or The World Today. And that's really what the strategy has been about. So now when we do a Four Corners, we also ensure that we're commissioning really great digital content around that. And so you're getting people consuming a great Four Corners that may never watch the program, may never sit down for 40 minutes at 8.30 on a Monday night because that's just not what they do anymore. And it's meant that that's opened up demographics to us that we never had a hope of reaching. Younger people, for instance, you know, 50% of our digital audience, which is now very big, is on a mobile phone. And the majority of the people consuming our news and information on the mobile phone are under 40. People under 40 don't watch Four Corners on a Monday night. Yeah. So it's allowed us to extend the, the, the reach of our stories, particularly our very best stories, to a whole new audience. And that, I think, has been the promise and the offer that digital has brought us. I've recently read the Nielsen ratings and it shows their measurements of audience size and I believe ABC is coming second. Do you think that that's been as a, the payoff as a result, like being second in Australia for news? Do you think that's the main attribution behind that? So I, I, we, we've gone from being seventh or eighth in the digital news that's market right. to being to second, you know, yeah. up to sort of around the second spot. And I think that's by focusing on the quality of our content rather than focusing on, you know, cheap clicks or, you know, getting people to kind of come to our, um, to, to our sites for, for, for quick, quick hits. And one of the things I think really shows in that is uh, the engagements, the Nielsen engagement stats around that stuff as well. Yeah. So we used to be terrible in terms of return visits and time spent. We're now the best you know, among the best in the business for those two things. And that's because our focus has been on richer stories, deeper stories, more in-depth content, more explainer content, you know, trying to really go for telling those richer stories that our teams around the ABC tell, turning that into a great digital experience. So we've risen up the ranks. People are spending more time on site with us. People are returning more often. So for us, this is great. You know, imagine if we could win digital by doing the things that the ABC really wants to do and seeks to do rather than I think where we were maybe four or five years ago where we thought clickbait was going to win. Clickbait didn't win. And what people are looking for now is quality and we happen to be in the quality business. So for us, the times have really suited us in terms of digital succeeding as an outlet for us in terms of reaching more Australians. In terms of current affairs as well, obviously you guys have a rich history of programs and a lot of that is like video and and information that you can convert online have you guys done much of that historical optimization and uploading as well and um have you also done news around looking at a past event and then recapping recapping it today about doing that reflection sort of pieces as well 
this last week we've seen uh, the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. And I think we did more programming and more great digital content and more really great explainers and contextual pieces around an historical event like the moon landing than anybody else. Because I think that's the sort of content, you know, sure, doing, doing those sorts of interesting content plays around contemporary stories is, is really important. Yeah. But also going back and looking at contextual stories and issues from the past and really adding value to those is something that we've noticed the audience is very hungry for. So the moon stuff that we've done in the past couple of weeks has been really successful. Lots of people have enjoyed it, have loved it. You know, in, to the extent that we even ran, you know, we ran a simulcast of the live broadcast from 50 years ago on the news channel for a couple of hours on Sunday. Really? Uh, so you could actually watch the whole event unfolding 50 years on in real time. So things like that, I think, I think there's a hunger out there that people saying, you know what, slow down. I'm looking for rich information. I'm looking for quality content. I'm looking for stuff that explains a complicated world to me much more than we probably gave them credit for a few years ago where we thought the pace of information was what people were after. Turns out they've always been interested in the quality of information. I agree as well. Like usually, and this is how I always have something in my view, and then I look backwards and not sort of try to do it the other way. I think people, how, how their search has changed as well, so it just shows. But you're talking about video, and video is a great example because we, uh, we weren't very good at digital video for a long time. Yep. And I think we were a bit arrogant about it because we thought, oh, we're a broadcaster. We know how to make television. Yep. But television news is not digital video, and it took us too long to work out what good digital video was for audiences. But I think probably only even in the last two or three years, we've really changed our approach to video and thinking through, okay, well, what is a digital video experience for an audience member? Because it's usually the opposite of television news. Yes. And that's required us to really think through how we create the video and, and how, where we put it. And you know better than anybody, uh, a great piece of compelling video on YouTube is very different to a great piece of video on Facebook, which is probably very different to a great piece of compelling digital video on a website. So it's taken us a while to learn that. But I think what you're seeing now is an increase in the production of digital video from ABC News. And I think you're seeing us really get into the nuances of what works where and, and how to make that a good experience for audiences, depending on the platform they're coming to us from. Sure. Is much of that video content current affairs or what do you see that being at the moment? What's the split in terms of news and, sorry, like the content text versus like video? What's the split and what, what do you see? What are you guys using most for what content type, I guess? So we're, still, we're not trying to flood people with you know, low quality video. So even in our digital stories now, I think probably only one in four or one in five stories, one in four probably has video attached because we're obviously, we're not trying to sell advertising inventory around it. Yeah. That's not what, what's important to us. And so we try to make sure that the video is good quality and actually helps tell the story uh, rather than just being there to kind of, you know, generate more traffic or generate time spent on site. So that's what we've been really working on. And a lot of that is news video, whether it be kind of raw video of an event that's happening or something that we've tried to produce in a way that's really going to appeal to that audience. But you're right, in some cases as well, that is taking really brilliant video that we produced out of a current affairs program, Foreign Correspondent or Four Corners or Australian Story or 7.30, yep. 
and turning that into something that is much more suitable for viewing by a digital audience. So obviously a 40-minute documentary isn't necessarily going to work on a website or on Facebook. So what does work out of a Four Corners program, either in terms of a short-form version of that story or the very key part of that story that is just compelling video on its own and how are we going to use that to reach an audience? And how does the day-to-day decision-making around that happen? So again, before this last piece of strategic work that we did, it largely happened in one central team. Yeah. We had a sort of an online newsroom that mostly did a lot of the production and mostly did a lot of the work around all of these things. Yeah. But what we've tried to do with the strategy is to export that skills and knowledge into all of the production teams. So now Four Corners is responsible for Four Corners digital strategy uh, and, and to create the content that supplements the stories. So effectively it's, it's response in saying digital audiences are important to us as broadcast audiences are. So the responsibility for serving them should sit with the team that's telling the story rather than there being broadcast teams that then pass off to somebody else the job of providing the digital content. So that's been a fundamental change in the way we work as an organisation. That's involved a lot of teams getting new skills in their teams, getting a lot of training to understand what works and what doesn't, um, and really taking ownership of their own digital content. And it's worked because when the team has ownership of it, they get passionate about it, they want the best for audiences, they want to grow audiences, and they've got very engaged around doing it. And I think it's provided some of those broadcast teams a a pathway to the future. Because I think if you're a scheduled television program, I think there was a time there where you were asking, well, how long have we got left? Because people aren't watching so much scheduled television anymore. Yeah, you're running the clock essentially on content. Exactly. Serving the here and now. But if you're now in control of your digital future as well, you can say, well, we're going to still make a beautiful broadcast program. But we know that we're going to be able to reach those contemporary audiences in the future because we're also in charge of our digital destiny. How do you, though, maybe for that piece of story, you know the type of content and information the audience wants, but there there might be a skill gap or there might be a challenge in terms of time to turn it around and things like this. How does that escalate to make sure that, you know, you can able to deliver the editorial plan that you have on time? It's never perfect. And we made lots of slip-ups along the way. Um, And people would still look at our offering, I think, and say, well, you could do a lot better in places. All all we can do really is to continue to try to improve, to learn from our mistakes. But I don't think we're any different to any other media organisation like that. I think everybody is learning rapidly, you know, as the audience changes one step ahead of them. I I don't think, you know, maybe in the digital-only world there are content providers and news providers who are ahead of the curve on where audiences are going to be. But I don't feel like any of us in the sort of mainstream media or the old school media, I don't think any of us feel like we're ahead of our audiences. I think the audiences are going faster than we are and we've just got to try to keep up as best we can. That's why having a clear strategy and sitting down and saying, look, if we map this out over three years or over two years or over four years or whatever period you think you can anticipate how audiences are going to continue to change, it gives, and then you stay loyal to the plan, knowing that you can be flexible around things that work or don't work. That's the best chance of being able to keep up, I think, with just how quickly things are changing. 
while also recognising that there are plenty out there in the audience who like things just the way they are as well. Yeah. There's always, you know, in, in, the, in our industry, there's a high turnover as well quite a bit. So you'd set the points around sticking to the plan. So how, how do you make sure that you guys can stick to the plan, even like on a day-to-day basis for your team? I mean, you, you, you've really got to set targets and you've really got to define what the destination looks like. And that was what we learned through this last sort of strategy. Yep. You know, we said these are the things that we think will matter in three years. Here's what success will look like in terms of really clear targets with numbers sitting on them. You, you know, one of the, one of the things that, I, you know, we, we set ourselves as a target was we knew that 30% of the activity in ABC News needed to be devoted to digital production and to digital skills if we were going to be able to grow our audience, yep. um, you know, in, in tune with where the industry was going. Now, I think back when we set that target, when we looked at the shape of, of our teams, it was something like 13 or 14% of our teams were focused on digital content creation and production. So, so we said we've got to go from 14 to 30 in three years. Yep. And then every decision you make about recruitment and around, uh, you know, the types of content you're going to make and around commissioning and around distribution has that number in mind. And then it's quite clear and you can measure it as you go. And if you're not getting there, you've either got to speed up or change your target. But we held firm with our targets and the, the strategy winds down for us at the end of this year before we sort of embark on the next kind of mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. And we've, we're pretty much on target with all the things we set for ourselves three years ago, even though a lot's changed in the industry. So, you know, we're leading on third-party social platforms as a news provider in Australia. Yep. Uh, we've, we've increased the effort and resources we devote to digital production to the 30%. We're at the, about the 40% reach mark in terms of the overall audience, certainly when you count in some of that third-party reach that we're getting. Yep. And we, we've significantly increased engagement, time spent on site, and also the proportion of our digital users who are under 40, which was a really key one for us. We, we've achieved them all. We've, I think when we set out and on these targets, when we set them, we thought, wow, these look very ambitious. I don't know whether we'll be able to do this, but we stuck to the plan. Um, and we reached the targets. That, it's interesting, and that leads on to what we were speaking on before we started this recording around reaching the new generation. So you mentioned that there were, like you said, you, there are strengths in ABC, like rural, like international um, coverage of news and stuff, but there's that gap of the national, that even that local level, that because ABC has seemed too big, maybe it's not able to cover that. So... What are your sort of thoughts around that and how do you think even like paid for media like companies can, in general, how do mainstream media companies can approach that? Because I know some of them have local publications as well, Mm. but what are your thoughts around that in general? I think there's a couple of really fundamental issues that we've got in Australia that perhaps we have to a greater extent than many other developed media markets do. One is... I think the failure of local news and information services. I think we've seen a contraction of local news and information services in Australia that we possibly haven't seen in many other countries. And I think that's a real problem um, for us. Uh, you know, I was saying before, I, I, I look at Sydney, there are 26 local councils in Sydney, and I, I really wonder how many journalists are actively covering those 26, you know, um, councils. You know, I look in Melbourne and there's a 
there's a city down there called the city of Casey. I think it's got two or 300,000 people in it. Um, And uh, very few journalists covering what goes on in the streets of Casey or in the council chamber there. I think this is a problem. And I think while we do a good, the media in Australia does a really good job at a national level covering federal politics and some of the big issues. And you've seen more players in that market in recent years, you know, the Guardian and international players and, uh, and others investing in that area. Yeah. At the local level, you're seeing a disinvestment. And I think where that, you know, we've invested more money in rural and regional news services and, and information and radio services. But where I worry is really those suburban and, and bigger metropolitan, non-capital city, but bigger metropolitan areas where I think there's a real challenge in people getting great journalism and really good news coverage. So part of the next strategy for us, I think, is looking at those sorts of areas and saying we're no longer going to continue to grow audiences at the ABC around platforms because television is declining quickly, radio is declining steadily, and digital is rising but not to the extent that those other platforms are falling. The only way we can be more relevant to Australians is by reaching into those parts of the community that we're currently underserving. And I think about the outer suburbs of our cities, I think about some of those bigger regional metropolitan areas and think, you know, maybe that's where we can be more relevant to people. I think the big parts of the community, the ABC, doesn't serve nearly as well as other parts of the community. And so how do we ensure that we can be more relevant in those places? I think that's the largely the shape around where our next piece of strategic work will go, much, much less so than around are we on the right platforms? Do we have the right digital strategy, which is where we've been for the last few years? Do you have any initial thoughts around how, how to tackle that? Or? It's tricky. I mean, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a big piece of work we've got to do with our teams. Uh, I think it goes to where we're located. I think it goes to our staff profile and making sure that it is better reflective of the community around us. And I don't just... You know, cultural diversity is part of it. Sort of people having connections with those reporters, like this. Exactly. To know who they are. But I mean, so socioeconomic diversity, I think diversity of perspectives, I think a diversity of people from different places. Um, You know, do we have enough suburban people working for us? Do we, are we in touch enough with some of those bigger regional metropolitan areas? Do we have too many people in Ultimo and not enough people in, you know, parts of our cities and towns that are bigger? I think all of that's worth looking at. I think one of the things that we've done over recent years is because of budget cuts and because of the need to find efficiency is we've centralised more of our teams to save money. I'm not sure that served us well in terms of connecting with the community. So investing in rural and regional services was the first step the ABC took and I think, you know, that's been successful for us. The next bit is to say, okay, where are their audience segments and parts of the community who we could do a better job of being relevant to. And I certainly think in those big regional metropolitan towns and cities and in the outer suburban areas of our cities, uh, you know, there's potential there. Is there a way you can potentially bridge broadcasting and digital together to help cover that basis? Or is there any sort of partnership avenue or maybe any tech sort of play? that maybe that can help? I definitely think partnerships are a big part of it. So who who out there is providing information services and how can we work with them rather than, you know, I've often thought, you know, there are periods of the ABC's time when we've thought of ourselves as a competitor in the media market 
I don't think we are a competitor in the media market. I think we're a service to the community. So if there are other people out there who we might have once looked at as competitors that we can work with more constructively in the interests of serving the community better, we should do that. And we should not see that as any sort of threat. But so I think partnerships, I think, you know, working out who out there in the community and the public wants to be involved. You know, I've talked a lot with our teams about collaborative journalism and doing projects where we're genuinely seeking feedback from the community. Last year, we had a, a big piece on aged care, which was completely sourced from people in the community. We put the call out. We said, we want your stories. We want you to tell us what's really going on in the aged care sector. And we produced... You know, a couple, two, two episodes of Four Corners, a bunch of digital content, a bunch of radio and television stories. So you see the type of people who participating. Collaborative journalism. How do we collaborate with people yeah. in the community who have stories to tell? Yeah. Because the technology allows us to do that in ways we never could before. That's a great way to source stories and for people to feel like we're listening to them and being relevant to their concerns, not just our concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one way to go. I guess now looking ahead, I know you said you're speaking about the three-year charter. Are you able to provide a bit of transparency about what that's, what that is or are you still in the process of planning planning that at the moment? We're, we're really in the process of planning it at the moment. I mean, I've, I've just brought on, you know, somebody to kind of lead our editorial strategy to sort of frame this up, have a big conversation with ABC staff and members of the community later in the year. Yep. And then I think to go into... 2020, I mean, we've called it the 2020 plus strategy at the moment and for want of a better name and really because that's how we see it. We want to kick it off as we go into next year and then carry it through the next kind of three or so years and we'll put really really firm targets against it. We'll say, look, you know, this is where we're at at the moment in reaching these particular communities and audiences. Here's where we want to be in three years' time and here's how we're going to get there. So, but, but it will definitely go to things like how do we be more relevant to people we don't serve as well as we should. Um, I mean, that, that's the theme of the things we're looking at. How do we collaborate? How do we partner? How do we get more involved in what the community is interested in? You know, how do we ensure our editorial agendas are relevant to the broadest cross-section of Australians? You know, how do we represent the full diversity of valid perspectives? You know, we don't need to air invalid perspectives, but where somebody has a valid point of view on something, we should air all of them. And, you know, so, so all of those things will, I think, come together in... How about R&D? Uh, well, you, you, you're right. There's a big piece to be done still around how we're going to reach people. And, you know, I've talked a little bit about what I call the end of schedule, which yeah. is, I think, a moment in time coming for us, already happened to uh, a lot of others, where the majority of the audience is not going to consume news and information based on when we tell them the news is on. Yep. So, you know, if you travel home at 6.45 in your car in the evening, currently our PM radio program isn't very useful to you because you've missed the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen in a few years' time. You'll be able to listen to that program at 6.45 from the top of the program or from 7.11 or from 7.15 or from 7.48 or whatever time you want that information or that service we are going to have to be flexible in providing it to you because that's what a personalised news and information world will look like. So R&D around artificial intelligence, around, you know, on-demand content, around the platforms that are emerging that people are going to consume things on, around the contest between what I call personalisation and discoverability. Yes. You know, everybody thinks 
if you personalize the, the experience that you know big sections of the population will tune out of topics that they're not interested in you know quite often serious topics or you know, politics or analysis or those sorts of things whereas i'm quite optimistic about the fact that discoverability has brought to us lots of content we never knew we were going to be interested in and i've often used the example of a podcast like making a murderer you know um who uh, knew that we were all going to be fascinated in listening to 10 hours of a radio documentary about a murder in a part of America none of us have ever been to, and yet it was a global content hit. Uh, I've got them mixed up, haven't I? That was Serial. Making Murder was the TV documentary, which right. was on a separate murder. and you know. But, but these sorts of content have emerged in recent time that have surprised everybody around the fact that people are interested in great stories told well, even if they didn't know they were interested in it in the first place. So this discoverability piece for us is something to really explore and I think should give us optimism that, you know, good content on topics that people might not instinctively think are interesting to them are still going to find people's ears and eyes. Is that primarily what you're looking forward to and how do you motivate a team as well? What are you particularly looking forward to ahead and how do you motivate your team to, to, to also look at that view or maybe get multiple views collectively? Credit a new view. Or I think in this, in a big organisation like this, that's yeah. got lots of you know eighty years of tradition, almost ninety years of tradition. I think it's very easy for people to get pessimistic about the future, yeah, because they think broadcast is slowly dying and television audiences are starting to fall off a cliff and all of those sorts of things. And I suppose what I try to do um, around that is say to people, yeah, but great stories told well are never going to go away. People are always going to be interested in really good, compelling stories told, you know, in thoroughly good ways. So Four Corners is never going anywhere. Four Corners will be around for a long time yet because nobody does amazing investigative journalism with incredible video uh, and, you know, personalised stories and all the rest of it in the way Four Corners does. Yep. So I don't know for how long it'll be a 40-minute television documentary at 8.30 on a Monday night hopefully for a long time yet. But that style of storytelling will be around forever. So that's what I say to many of our teams is don't be too pessimistic about the fact that great stories told well will always be something that people want from us. And just the last question, Gavin, uh, for investigative journalists and journalists out there and even editorial staff who are interested in producing content around that, what's your one main advice that you'd give or what's, what's one key lesson you'd want to share with them? Find a great story. It's, it's the same it's really as the last one. It's a fundamental thing. Is yeah. um, Great stories are never going to be uh, uninteresting to people. So, you know, if you're a budding journalist or a content maker or all the rest of it, don't worry about the fact that newsrooms are smaller than they once were or that television and radio audiences over time are declining. Focus on finding great stories that people aren't telling and tell them brilliantly and there'll always be jobs and there'll always be a hunger for that kind of stuff. And I think the last few years have really taught us that the best content is as popular as it ever was and that what digital has allowed us to do is extend our reach into audiences that might not have come to us. Our, our audiences for our election coverage, you know, the federal election that's just happened, yeah. we had 10 million Australians tune into our content over the course of the election weekend. We could never imagine 10 million Australians joining the ABC for any event in the history of when broadcasting was at its peak. But because 
our television services were popular, people were tuning into the radios for election news, and we had the digital footprint that we've got, we were able to reach vastly more people than we could ever do before for any other events uh, in our history. So audiences are still there and they're still looking for great content if you can do it well. Kind of the discoverability of those stories, I guess, yeah. Exactly. And then doing it well. I mean, there's, there's got to be quality product. The information's got to be good and it's got to be presented in ways that people find useful. But that's the fun part for us, I think. The fun part is saying, have we done a good enough job at creating that thing and making sure that it's as available and as accessible to people as it can possibly be? On that positive note, thank you very much for your time. Gabby. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.